Oh my gosh, there's a llama. <laughs> oh, is that Joe? That is me. It is That's Joe me right there. Your dog looks like a llama. Poor dog, you're going to get my complex. <laughs> <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with the salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of over $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Adventures in Angular link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hire to get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at digitalocean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, the makers of Kendo UI. Kendo UI integrates seamlessly with both AngularJS 1.x and 2.0. It provides everything you need to integrate with AngularJS out of the box, bindings, component configuration directives, template directives, form validation event handlers, and much more. And yet, Kendo UI tooling does not depend on AngularJS, so if you want to use it with Angular or not, that's totally up to you. You can check it out at kendoui.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 71 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Ward Bell. Hi there! Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. John Papa. Hey, everyone. Lucas Rubelke. Hello! I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. A quick shout-out for jsremoteconf.com. If you want more remote comps next year, go to allremoteconfs.com. I'm putting on a whole bunch next year. This week, we have a special guest, and that's Thomas Burleson. Hey there, how are you? Did I say that right? You did. I need to start asking before the show. Yeah, you didn't practice, and you still said it right. It's good. Lucky guess. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Thomas Burleson. I'm the team lead for Angular Material, and it's awesome to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Since Ward has his funky red glasses on, I'm putting mine on. That's awesome. So Angular Material, that's material design with Angular... So Angular Material is a native AngularJS native implementation of material design. And a lot of people will say, so isn't that, you know, paper elements? And the answer is no. Um, Angular Material is material design. It's like paper elements, but it's written in Angular. So it's Angular native. And when people say, well, what should I use, Polymer and paper elements, or should I use Angular? And our answer is that Polymer is a great framework. It's really good. Paper elements are really good. Uh, but I tend to think if you want to use Polymer, then you're writing components. If you want to write web apps and create web applications, then you want to use Angular. And if you're using Angular, then it is a no-brainer to use Angular Material. Can you step back a little bit? Because I don't know what a paper element is, and I don't know what a material is. And so take uh-huh. me back. What what problem are we solving here? You know, I, got, I got some paper right here. Well, if we really step back a, a whole bunch, even before material design, we could take a look at Angular, and we could we can look at all of it and talk all about its features of what it's great at. But let's talk about what it was really missing. What Angular was really missing is a user experience component set, a UI component set, and something that would was really easy to use that just fits in naturally with the way Angular apps are developed. And I think Brad and Naomi and Igor were thinking about this for a long time. Around the time that Material Design was getting ready to come out at Google I.O., Google was going to announce Material Design, this whole set of concepts of how components should be aesthetically look, how they should work, how they should interact, transitions, how they should be themed, 
how they should be laid out in terms of text sizes and borders and interact with hover, mouse hovers, et cetera. All these things were laid out in material design. Well, Brad and Igor and Naomi really had some forethought and they said, well, listen, if material design is coming out, let's work on an Angular material version of that. And so we started that in May of 2014. And what makes it Angular-ish as opposed to just a – and I don't mean just a – I mean, you know, there you go. That, that The the goals of a material design sound quite ambitious and helpful. So what makes it Angular-ish when you call it Angular material? Huh. Well, often I'm, I'm so deep in this project, I have to, it's hard for me to step back. But when I think about what makes it Angular-ish is that we support a lot uh, – we use and consume a lot of the services that are coming right from Angular – so we're very aware under the hood of dollar animate and animate CSS and RAF services. We're familiar. Uh, we, we depend on the dependency injection mechanisms and frameworks. We use the modules from Angular, all these things we tie into. And then we expose that in a markup language that is really easy to create UI elements. So you can lay it out on a page. And I like to tell people when you think of Angular material, think of three things. First off, think of UI components, UI components that are really easy to use. For example, you could use a button or you could use an MD button. And the difference is we provide a lot of smarts in our components. So we have a lot of accessibility features built into every component. We have um, the ability to recognize other NG directives that are on our components and leverage those in a better way. And we then tie into other things as part of Angular Material. So we tie into this whole concept and set of features called theming within Angular Material where you can use color palettes and color intentions to specify how your component should look like under what intention, whether it's a worn or a primary component. And then we also have another feature called layouts, which is really a flex box on steroids version uh, or feature, I should say. And layouts, Lucas just actually wrote an uh, article on that. And layouts is, is just the bomb, I think. So using layouts with our UI components, just, it's just becomes dirt simple to create UI apps. I would just like to point out that in Angular material, you get awesome child alignment right out of the box. And so vertical centering is actually not going to make your brain melt, but you can actually center things vertically in a sensible manner. So Thomas, I'm giving you a big air hug right now. Thank you. Oh, you're very nice. You're welcome. Thank you. Actually, the thing I love about it is not just the the way that allows you to align elements and and specify how HTML containers, DOM containers should resize. What I love is the responsive nature of it. So we took this concept of how you want to lay out your elements with respect to each other and how you want to resize your components with respect to each other. And we said, let's add on top of that some built-in smarts about media queries, about what size of your display that you currently have available. And we created a notation. So for example, let's say that you had a long button and you wanted to say, I want this button to be visible, except when I'm in a very small view, like when I'm in a view that's the size of a phone, I don't want the button to be visible. So what we do is we allow you to say, you can put on that element, you can say button, and then you can say show, just the attribute show. And then you can say put a space, of course, and then another attribute, which is hide-sm, which means that when it's in a small view, hide it. And so this notation, this idea of allowing you to append, let's call it these aliases for your view sizes, small, medium, large, extra large, and then using greater than prefixes with those gives you a lot of versatility to say, hey, resize this, show this change the alignment and this and this view size and all of a sudden your apps become they're extremely easy to become responsive to your devices devices that are they're rendered on so clearly we're going way beyond css with this library uh, it's not a css library at all is it so no this library is is if you take a look at it underneath the hood you'll see that we have a fair amount of sophisticated css we use sass but i'd say 80% of our code is not css it's javascript and we're doing things with ARIA for accessibility. We're doing things with uh, watching data bindings and observing properties and adjusting things and doing transitions and animations when appropriate and changing your cursors. And then we tie all that into this concept of breakpoints and responsiveness. 
and it becomes an incredibly powerful library. Can you speak a little bit to the design goals of, and this may be really more about material than it is about Angular material, but the sort of uh, visual design goals of uh, material? Well, material design, which is up available uh, online, has a complete specification for how components are supposed to look and act and respond. And they also have recently released some uh, a set of specifications for how applications should adapt. So not just how the components should respond to different layouts, but when we say adapt, we also mean how the component may change to a different component to adapt to different view sizes. So it's not just changing its size, it actually may change its type completely. And so we are now on our path with Angular 1, Material 1 that's coming out soon. We are preparing to start adding features for adaptive design. But the Angular Material 1 version was really about taking the material design spec and implementing it and making it easy to make your apps look just like the components that are rendered in material design and making it easy to do that. Did that answer your question, Ward? Oh, very definitely. I'm starting to get a strong sense of the different aspirations and and techniques involved here relative to say something that I and many of our listeners might be more familiar with. I, I think a lot of us are used to sort of grabbing Twitter bootstrap. That's the most popular library out there Mm -hmm. and chucking it at the page and hoping for the best. And it sounds like um, you're both addressing the problem of how my app's going to look, but you're taking a more component, uh, semantic view of the screen and and getting more involved in it. So uh, I would, I imagine that I'm not, you know, one of the things that gets me with Twitter bootstrap and about you guys is that I'm doing these endless nested divs and throwing classes on it and, and, ha- uh, you know, having to figure out what all that, that mess is and looking at a tree of HTML. Um, because I'm really using CSS to, to, to control the, uh, my look, but it doesn't sound like material works that way. Bootstrap is, like mostly CSS, right? So we've got JavaScript in there. Maybe we can get from Thomas, you know, how this compares. But Bootstrap, for basic stuff, you just add CSS. And you don't always have nested divs, to be fair. On some things, it's simply just a, an attribute class or something you stick on it. But when you get into, like, navigation menus, it is absolutely horrible. And I agree with Ward there, where you could literally have, you know, if you don't have the right container that has the nav control, which has the nav bar, which has the hidden nav elements, I mean, it's like an HTML structural nightmare. Uh, and that's where I think something that's more componentized is, would be more ideal. How, how does your stuff compare to that? Well, I think if, if you start taking a look at some of the existing Angular Material apps that are coming out, you'll notice that their markup is pretty shallow. There isn't a lot of complexity, right? One of the goals to markup is to, instead of having lots of nested divs to keep it shallow and make it semantic correct, and this is something I think Angular Material does a really great job of doing, right? You don't have to have deep nestings and weird wrappers and all these other things. In, in fact, what we do under the hood sometimes is we add those wrappers as needed. So the developer doesn't have to worry about it. Uh, if you need want to show a modal, a dialogue, and you want to pop it up, and you want to have an opaque background, well, we take care of doing that for you. If you don't want it opaque, it's really easy to hide, you know, have a transparent background. But then you want a background around the modal dialogue because if you click off of it, you want the modal to go away, potentially. So we we have built into our components this whole idea that it's really easy to show a pop-up dialogue and then add your own content to the pop-up. And then to say it supports a mouse click outside of the dialogue area to automatically hide. Same with the side nav, for example, we'll say it's really easy to take a side nav component and say, I want it locked open. So no matter what, it doesn't slide off screen. Or you can unlock it and then it will slide off on a larger view. And if you're in a smaller view, you can tell it to slide on. And to me, this is the real beauty of Angular Material. Right, Bootstrap, I really like Bootstrap a lot. After having worked and using Angular Material for a while, I don't know if I'd ever go back to Bootstrap, honestly. Uh, Bootstrap has a grid system, it has CSS, and it has JavaScript, and it was pretty darn good when it came out, and it's still not bad. Uh, Of course, I'm biased, right? I work with a set of great developers on Angular Material, but honestly, I've worked with DefJS. There's some other frameworks out there that I've worked with, and Angular Material is just, its, its intent is to make it super easy to use these components and to lay them out. 
So I'm beginning to get feel that we're – I've made a category mistake in comparing it with a CSS uh, library such as Bootstrap. Maybe it's more akin to the kinds of uh, HTML control suites that we used to buy for for server-side web page development, you know? Is that more like what my mental model should be like? Like I'm buying a control suite? Yes. In fact, if you, if you guys ever used or heard about Cold Fusion, Cold Fusion was an example of a server side rendering engine that had HTML like markup and Cold Fusion's tags hit a lot of the complexity of actually how they rent, they instantiated a DOM element and they rendered it. And Angular Material does the same thing. Uh, but the great thing about Angular Material is that it actually ties into this whole idea of view models, right, with its scopes and the data, and, the, and it ties into controllers. And it allows you to add your own directives on our components. So you can still use your own directives and your own markup within our components. It's super easy. And if I can jump in here just real quick, because I think if you're going to talk about Angular Material, you have to talk about material design and actually what that is. And I started to notice this. I had a sense of it working with Angular Material, but until I actually read the material design spec, it didn't really become apparent to me. And I think this is what Angular Material brings to the table that something like Bootstrap does not, is that everything is there for context. And so, for instance, all of the material elements are layered in a way to imply hierarchy visually as well as all of the motions are designed to um, have a meaning. So, for instance, the modals come up from where you actually click that button. Or if you have a button and you click on that button, then you get a ripple on that button right That's where right. you clicked it. And you get that for free. And so having like that implied context that's baked into imply intention that works seamlessly across devices is really, really powerful. And to me, that is the soul of Angular material, which is material design, is you get this language to express, you know, context and inter- interaction and hierarchy absolutely free. And a lot of thought has went into that. And then you have Angular material, which is just this phenomenal execution of this kind of language that's been defined by Google. And you have something really, really powerful, but really easy to use. I mean, again, if you want to do like a three column layout, it's just a few divs, you know, flex 30, flex 30, flex 40, and you're done. And it's perfect. I think it feels to me like it fits somewhere between, as Ward said, the bootstrap world where it's heavily CSS with some JavaScript interactions and not quite a UI control suite like a Widgmo or a Kendo UI, but it's kind of somewhere in between those two. And the reason I like it so much is because of those interactions you're talking about, Lucas, it feels better. I think the UX is much smoother and cleaner and a little a little more unique, quite frankly. It's It's not like a lot of the UX frameworks that we've seen out there in the past. It actually takes more things into mind so that the user knows where they're clicking. They kind of can feel it, and you get uh, better easings through a lot of the animations, too. Uh, so for me, I really enjoy using it as a developer. So well, I, wanna, I don't want to ask Thomas this. I want Thomas to listen to this. I want to ask Lucas and John, <laughs> what was it like to start from zero to say, I want to try and use Angular Material in a project? Hey, well, before you ask that, Ward, can I jump in just for a minute? Because I don't think I've done justice to the Material Design team itself. Often I talk about Angular Material, but really if you want the essence of Angular Material is, the best way to know that is to go to the Material Design docs. Go to www.google.com slash design and take a look in their little menu there and you'll see, take a look at all their components and their layouts and their styles and their animations and their patterns. All these things are very clearly and elegantly defined and specified. And so our job as an Angular development team was so much easier from one perspective because we didn't have to develop these specs. They were already there. We just had to implement them as an Angular native version. And I think that was a huge win. Okay, well, now we know what you think, Thomas, is if we really cared. (laughs) (laughs) What about my question, huh? (laughs) Yeah? Okay. All Pay right. attention to me. Yeah, really. I mean, you know, you're just a guest here. You're just a foil for this. For the for this. Right, I love the award. You're awesome. <laughs> no, really, I, I I appreciate that. But I still want to know the answer, John Lucas. How was it like when you opened the box? John first. All right. So I've tried twice uh, with material, Angular material specifically. And the first time I tried was when it was very, very, very early on. So my experience back then is different than it is today. So I'll kind of leave that off because I got in early there. But looking at it now, for example, 
the stuff I've done with Angular Material, when I jump in, there are things that still have a little bit of that hierarchy involved with them, but I don't know how you'd escape them, quite frankly. Things like the side nav. I, I, there are elements that you have to create, like you've got to create your MD side nav and your toolbar and your content, and then you got to put buttons inside of those, only because you have to design which how you want it to feel. So some of that you can't escape. I don't want to give the impression that it's simply just, bam, I throw on a uh, Thomas Burleson directive and everything's just happy and it knows exactly what I want. But the other side is I feel like getting started with this, the friction is pretty low. I wouldn't say it's any larger or uh, smaller than what it was for me to get into Bootstrap. I'm no CSS expert, but I feel like um, the barriers to entry in Angular Material are pretty low. And I can piggyback on that. So kind of my intro to Angular Material, I was in an internal hackathon with Scott Moss. And the goal for the hackathon was like, oh, okay, for the next two days, we're going to take these comps and we're going to string them together. Something like, uh, like we're just going to click through the comps and that's success. And so Scott and I were like, why don't we just actually just build this thing out? And so they're like, yeah, okay, if you can do that and with an eye roll. And so I set out to learn Angular Material at the same time being under the gun for opening my big mouth and promising to produce a working prototype. And I found that actually the learning curve was almost non-existent, that in two days, Scott and I built out this fully working prototype that tested really, really well with the users. And, you know, now it is in production. And so that first kind of intro of like, oh, I see this is how layout works really simple, you know, with the flex layout. This is how we get a button on the page. This is how we get this on the page. And it's really, really quite, it was quite easy for me to wrap my mind around. And I thought it just felt like a really natural extension to Angular. I've since used it on a bunch of projects and I've spent some time teaching Angular to designer types coming from jQuery. And it's kind of hard to talk about like high design. Then you're working on a project that just doesn't look very good. And so I've been using Angular Material to convey these kind of concepts and really the kind of the traction that I've got with the kind of JavaScript jQuery CSS folks has been really phenomenal because it's very easy for them to pick up and kind of reason about at the same time as the the end product just looks really fantastic, which they appreciate. If I could say there's one place that it could use some help, so I like to get the pros and the cons, right? is in the getting started, there's a lot of stuff in the getting started there. I mean, they've got GitHub repos and some simple examples and code pens, but just having something that is dead simple to start with, it seems like all the starter stuff I've looked at is a little too much. So the people I've thrown at it on my team to say, hey, check out Angular Material, uh, they all came back and were like, well, there was a lot to absorb in the getting started section. So I think that's one place in the docs that uh, could definitely use a little bit of uh, maybe minimal viable product type. Attention. Well, the good news is Aaron Frost and I are actually working together to create a whole um, video courseware for Egghead for Angular Material. And I know Lucas has also done a video courseware for Angular Material, which will be a great learning resource for people. And there's also online docs. You know, everyone can go to material.angularjs.org and you'll see our online docs. And our docs are actually implemented with our Angular Material components. So we eat our own dog food. We use our own CSS. We use our own animations. Everything there is done with Angular Material. And yes, we can, we will still continue to improve upon, uh, not only the docs, because there's parts that are a little confusing. And we're still, we haven't quite released 1.0 yet. Uh, soon we will. And John, you're right. There's a couple starter projects, but even those are a little bit challenging. If you just want some gentle handholding to say, just get me started. And I can give a high-level version of how to do that, right? Because, John, you hit on a, another good point. One of the best ways to think about your Angular Material apps or, is think about your containers first. What are the major containers of your app? Do you have a toolbar area? Is it fixed at the top? Do you have a footer area? Do you have a side nav? Do you have a content? Break it up into containers. And then think about what elements you want in those containers. And then it becomes pretty easy. That's one of the things I really like, Thomas, is... That you've got, so for example, I don't like the getting started, but I do love the demos. Like when I want to use something, I do start with the containers. So I go look at the toolbar, the sidebar, nav, and your demos, and I just poke at the source code, which is kind of what the uh, Bootstrap team did with their docs too. So it's not, like again, it's not any better or worse than Bootstrap, but I do like that you used your own stuff. One place I think you guys did a great job is in your 
docks here, uh, let me compare what Bootstrap did, which I don't like. In their docks, when they show like a grid or a menu nav bar, sometimes you say, wow, I really like what they did here in the docks. And you show the source and it shows you the actual source for their actual docs is not even using all of their exact styles, uh, which kind of bugged me because I'm like, if I grab this, they're using styles that they wrote on their own too, which aren't even available in the library, as opposed to just viewing source of their demos allows you to see that. What I like is maybe it's not even your demo that I like. I like the sidebar on the left-hand side. Uh, so if I do a view source on that, I'm actually being able to take advantage of the real Angular material. Uh, so maybe I'm a I'm picking too hard at it, but I really like the fact that your docs are written with uh, the same thing that you dog-fooded it. Yeah, the docs were an interesting evolution because we wanted to have docs, and then we all of a sudden we realized we needed to have docs for each major release. And so we needed a way for users to be able to switch between versions, much like Angular's docs do. And so we finally incorporated that feature in. And then we needed things like, um, one of the things I love is in our docs, when you see one of our demos, you can say launch in code pen, and then you can use that as a customization point. Start exploring it, debug it, do whatever you want with that particular demo. And it just launches as is right in. We also have on CodePen, we have an Angular Material community. Soon we'll have some search features within our docs. You know, the sidebar, John, is it's it's good, but it could be better. It could be a little less confusing because we have this whole idea of we talk about layouts and then we talk about theming and then we talk about components or demos and then we talk about our services and then our components. And it may be a little too much. We may want to try to partition it a little bit better. And Finally, you hit on one other point. We've been talking about this whole concept of user journeys at Google, which is um, what do new users, what kind of journey do they take when they're trying to learn Angular material? What are their stumbling points? And we have several areas that we can improve upon with our uh, user journeys to make Angular material easier to learn. Now, I should say this is only for version one. Version two, we've already started the the prototypes for uh, Angular material version two, written in Angular 2. And that's in the Angular 2 repository under a subdirectory for material. So you guys can check that out if you want. And huge shout out to uh, Jeremy Elborn for uh, really working with that. He is our team, our technical lead, and he's going to be leading the whole effort for Angular 2 material components. In 2016, we're going to be releasing uh, not only a time picker, but a data table component with sortable columns and filtering and a whole bunch of other things. So we have a lot more components coming and a lot of power that we're just going to keep adding. In 2016, we're totally rewriting. We've actually not rewriting. We've rewritten the layout engine. So now it will be JavaScript only. There will not be any more CSS. So people don't have to worry about where it's not working because the CSS specificity isn't working correctly. Now it'll be, we're just applying the styles directly to the DOM element itself and it works really fast and it's just slick and we've added smarts. So now you can do layouts for, you can define your own breakpoints, for example, in 2016. You can do those um, so, and we'll have smarts for detecting orientation, which we don't support right now, detecting if you're on a, a phone or a tablet or a desktop and then adjusting your layouts accordingly for those. So, you know, Tom, something that's been kind of, kind of switching gears a little, it kind of been on my mind lately too. I'm wondering this is as much as I like Angular material and, and I do really like it, obviously, because I'm talking about it a lot here and I enjoy using it. Most of the people I interact with out there, social media, conferences, at work, uh, consulting, all these places, they're all using bootstrap. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much everybody ubiquitously. Mm-hmm. And I find some people have heard of our uh, Angular material and some have even less of them have, you know, played with it. But I don't find that that's a huge number of people. Do you feel like there's a, a maybe a, a marketing opportunity for what you guys are doing? Or is, is it, I mean, are people learning about this but just turning the other cheek? Or are they, what's, what's going on there? Because it feels to me like this thing is awesome. Why aren't more people talking about it? I think we're in the same stages with Angular material that we saw in the beginnings with Angular, right? The adoptions rate was relatively low. Um, I mean, it was steady. 
but it wasn't skyrocketing up exponentially. It was just a nice steady curve. And then after about a year or two years, it just seemed to skyrocket. I mean, it just, it went out, just totally went off the shoot. Remember? And you can see that on some of the adoption charts. I think that's when Ward started tweeting about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why I'm so excited to have him talk about material, you know, and, uh, because maybe he'll help us skyrocket material, angular material. But I think right now we're in the early stages and people also, I, I think, John, they've been worried about, you know, should I really invest in this? It's not even in 1.0 yet. And if it's not in 1.0, is it in alpha? Is it in beta? How much pain is that going to be? And when it was in version five or dot five, you had to really want to use it. Uh, our current community members were just amazing in getting involved and helping us make this a better framework. You know, they've suffered through the, some of them, sometimes through some of the iterations. But now as we get close to 1.0, what we want to be able to say is the API itself is solid. It's going to be locked down. And then if you're implementing your own apps with this API, if we make changes to it, we'll deprecate the old API for a while. We'll help you transition. We're going to be working on user journeys. We're going to be talking about, for example, a great one, John, is if you have Bootstrap, if you have your app with Bootstrap and your own custom JavaScript, or let's say Bootstrap and Angular, let's make it even easier. How do you migrate? And that can be a bit of a challenge if you're using some of the Bootstrap stuff for dialogues, right? If you're just using CSS, I think there's a relatively understandable migration path. If you're using some of the JavaScript stuff or the grid, for example, you may actually need to just sort of step back and say, what are my objectives in terms of layout? Because the bootstrap grid systems are not real. They're not compatible with the layout system, the flexbox system that we have within um, Angular Material. But I, I think our layout system is just the bomb. And it was actually initially created by um, Adam Bradley from the Ionic team. In fact, I think Adam is probably using a version of the layout engine over at Ionic. I wouldn't be surprised. So what you're using Flex system. What uh, browsers do you guys support with it? So if you go to caniuse.com and just do slash uh, or search for the support for Flex, you're going to see sort of a horizontal line of all the, 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 the green rectangles that indicate the browsers that are sort of active, right? And so we support that main horizontal line minus one. We're supporting Chrome 48 and Firefox. I don't have it in front of me here, but what we say is N minus one. I do, which is pretty much everybody except for IE, it looks like. Even IE 11 doesn't seem to fully support it. No, IE 11 has been a problem child for us, to be honest. It's been very difficult to, especially with the layout, to, to try to figure out the workarounds for IE 11 that don't hurt everyone else. A good example, we initially started using our layout system was CSS only, and it was attributes, right? It was um, on your DOM element, you might have, say, button or div, and then you might say flex equals... 50. In other words, you're saying this div component should flex to be 50% of the space available. Well, IE becomes a performance dog. It just dies because of um, attribute selectors. Is that the technical term for it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I invented that. (laughs) (laughs) The sound effect. Yeah, we need to put that into a sound, what do they call it? (laughs) (laughs) If you put that on like a... What was that sweet Georgia Brown repeat? I'll be up. <laughs> I'll start laughing. Anyway, um, so we actually then had to figure out, okay, what can we do? Well, we can't use layout attributes because IE just will, ju- its performance just hits rock bottom. It gets really slow. So then we had to go to class names. So then we had to transform live the attribute selectors to class names. But so these are the types of things I'm talking about that we had to try to address just for IE. And we're still doing that, but IE will continue. It's an evergreen browser and it will get better. I, that, I guess that's the problem now, right? Is that, yeah, for those, even you, you can't even say today that the most modern browsers, if you're supporting the most modern, i.e. Uh, Opera, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, you know, that you can use material in full confidence. And it's not something that you guys are uh, at fault for here, but it's it's the evolution of our IE. I, from what I understand, though, reading can I use, it's because IE 10 and 11 both support the old Flexbox syntax and specs, not the newer version of it. And some of their support is just simply buggy related to if you have uh, the flex box in the, the flex direction and column and has to do with column right. heights. And so some of these things we're actually putting into our layout engine smarts to get work around that. Some so what would happen if I used it today then, Thomas, to build a, a public website of some sort? And I obviously going to have somebody using IE somewhere out there. 
what would you re- uh, recommend people to do if they use Angular Material now and 1.0 in the RC uh, if they have to support some people who are using IE 11 or 10? Well, we already support it in some aspects. What we're trying to do is put some tips out, tips and tricks, for especially for those developers who are running into problems where the layout isn't working as they expect. And we're trying to let them understand, hey, if it's not doing flowing in the direction you think it should or resizing the way it should, check these following things. If you're working on IE, look at these considerations. Check the set of resources. And the reason we do that is, A, we're just now releasing one, right? And B, it's amazing how the different variations developers come up with. And we can't seem to solve every single one. We, we get better on every iteration. So I think developers shouldn't stay away from Angular Material because of IE. I just think they should go into the, the approach that some of the layout aspects, they'll have to be careful, right? And they need to test. And one of the things I say to a lot of our community members when they have layout problems is, well, if you did it with Flexbox by hand, what are the workarounds you'd have to work with that? And maybe then they have to take some of those tweaks and apply that with our own layout or provide feedback to us, and then we'll incorporate that in. I want to flip to some a different question. You know, it seemed like uh, not too long ago people were saying, oh, don't do layout manipulation or styling in JavaScript. It should be done in CSS because then it could be offloaded to the graphics chip and yada, yada. And, so, and, and now I'm hearing maybe um, that was misleading or no longer true. So what is the, what, what's the perf story there and the opportunity to get off the UI thread, which I think is the real consideration here is like everybody's trying to own the the one thread that's driving the browser. What does it look like, given that you guys have made such a bet on JavaScript? JavaScript Engine is coming in 2016. We haven't even released it yet, right? And so right now, we're generating a lot of CSS, and then our JavaScript portion in the 1.0 engine is just setting a class name. So it's still using CSS, and it's still using media queries and everything else. The problem with that is it's, it generates a, a large amount, like 200K of CSS, just for the layout aspects. And it's very rigid in its flexibility, right? It doesn't have a lot of flexibility in the attributes it understands. And what I mean by that, Ward, is, for example, right now, if you want to do, let's say you want to use the flex portion. Of the, in the layout API, you want to say flex. So flex equals 50. Well, we support increments of five. And that's because we have to pre-generate the CSS. We don't support increments of, of anything you want. And we support increments of five of percentages, but we don't support pixel values. And we don't support in some areas interpolated values. So if you want to have your controllers dynamically adjust some of these settings, some of our API doesn't do that. Well, the uh, Gen 2 version of the layout engine will support all of that. Any pixel, pixel value you want any increment you want, it just works. And it works really well. We're, we're trying to be focused on what kind of rendering impacts it has and reflow impacts it will have and just batch those up. More than that, I'm not prepared to talk about because we're still researching it. But so far, the smell test is that you're going to get the perf out of it that we need uh, in the modern browsers. Absolutely. If we don't, we won't be releasing it. Let me flip it a little again, too. I'm looking at something that's pretty common these days, responsive design. And I notice, like, for example, one of your little grid system layouts here is, uh, let's show three columns side by side, but the third column is set not just to flex, but the hide small. Uh, so if I shrink the whole thing down, I'm only getting two of the columns visible. Where or how do you guys deal with the whole, you know, like in Bootstrap, they got small, extra small, medium, large, triple X, quadruple X. Mm-hmm. I, I mean... They have a way of dealing with responsiveness. Obviously, you do too. Uh, what's the right recommendation on how to use material with responsiveness and how does it work? Well, we have in our docs now, I think up on material.angularjs.org, we actually have we've published what our breakpoints are, what pixel values they are, what ranges. And so we support extra small, small, greater than extra small, greater than small, greater than medium. So we support the greater ones. And then, so medium, large, and extra large. And we've defined what pixel values they, they are. And those actually come right out of the material spec. And those are the ones that are sort of built into the layout engine. As you want to use your own, if you want to vary off, then we'll provide an API in 2016 to do that. Did that answer your question, John? Yeah, it does. And I, I just found one of the pages where you, you talk about these, like the greater than small, the small, and so on. 
uh, and they show the different sizes. And if I want custom ones, I assume I can kind of go my own road, same way I could in Bootstrap. You can. It's a bit of a challenge right now in Angular 1, right? Because you're going to have to generate CSS and CSS media queries to support those breakpoints, and those are non-trivial. Those are a bit of a challenge. It's almost better if you want to use custom breakpoints to wait till yeah. the 2016 version. For example, I can see here like the smallest you have is layout small. Small is smallest. And it says here it's uh, for layout on devices that are less than 600 pixels wide, like for phones. But if let's say my company decides that we feel that 540 or 480 is the right breakpoint for that, uh, we would, would then be up to us to either override or cascade over your styles or create our own layout size, correct? Right. Cool. And I think that's reasonable. It's what we do with things with Bootstrap anyway. And, well, gosh, what was that other one that was out uh, that's really popular too? Serb. Serb, yes. Yes. The one that sounds like the Foundation. villain in uh, Toy Story. Yep. I have a question related to this, though. I mean, we're talking about media queries and we're talking about CSS versus implementing, say, in JavaScript. Are there performance implications between the two? So Ward was just talking about this in terms of, you know, whether it would run on the UI um, timeline or it would run on the GPU and how, what's the performance impact if we went to JavaScript only versus CSS. And so there's a trade-off, right? Because if you want to have a lot of the, the more flexibility you want, if you're doing CSS, then the larger your footprint of CSS is going to be, especially with all these variations. It's just becomes almost a, 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 mess, a giant mess. So that become, if you go to a JavaScript only version, your CSS is gone. Your engine becomes super light and teen or, 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 or tight. And we are still analyzing the performance issues related to doing that. And I'm sure we'll be tweaking it as we go. All right. Well, any other questions before we get to the picks? Let's ask the heavy question here. And I'm sure there's a great answer for it. So with Angular 2 coming out, how far after or at the same time do you feel there'll be an Angular material ready to use with that? Well, even if I knew that answer, which I may, um, <laughs> I I don't think Naomi or Brad would be happy with me putting any sort of timeline in, though. But oh, I'm sure they'd be totally cool with it. We, we totally won't tell cool. them. Well, you know, nobody will hear. It's just us chickens. The fact that we, us chickens. You guys are funny. Considering <laughs> the fact that we already have prototypes of many of the components in Angular, two, uh, uh, already implemented in Angular two. We'll have to tweak those and adjust them, and we're looking at really rewriting the theming engine as, long, as well as releasing a new layout engine. So we've taken all the journey that we've had over, let's say, the last 18 months. We're taking those lessons learned and the best practices and the things that we love about Angular Material 1, and we're applying them and making it even better in Angular Material 2 version for Angular 2. Let so me help you there, Thomas. I heard Brad say January. <laughs> no, you didn't. You're very funny. No, you didn't. if you had said some other date, I might have said really. But I know, I, I feel confident that we will have components that are real components for developers to play with with Angular 2 that are written in Angular 2 with TypeScript by, by so Summer. Nice. That sounds so nice. Sweet. Yep. And before before Summer, we'll actually have a, a story about how you can use Angular Material 1 within Angular 2 apps, right? So we'll also address that. But I know that those who are using TypeScript with Angular 2 are going to want TypeScript components mm-hmm. in, you know, in Angular Material. Yeah. And I got to admit, I love the syntax, right? The, the way, because one of the, one of the challenges we had to deal with with Angular Material 2 was, do we use events? When you're interacting with a component, how do we let you know that something's changed? Do we fire an expression? Do we dispatch an event? Do we require two-way data binding? These things are so much easier to address with the syntax with Angular 2. So it's going to be exciting times. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get to some picks. I know some people have to run. Joe, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. I would be happy to. So I want to pick um, a really interesting website I discovered a couple of weeks ago. It's called Screeps.com. And it's a kind of like a real-time strategy, but massively multiplayer game. But you only play it by coding JavaScript. So if you want to be involved with it at all, if you want to participate, you have to write JavaScript that controls what everybody, all of your little minions do. So it's a cool way to learn JavaScript and a fun way to do some programming and a cool little game. And it's quite in-depth. It has a huge API that's really well documented. I thought it was really cool. So I'm going to pick that, and 
Then I'm also going to pick a talk by a woman, and I'm not really sure exactly how to pronounce her name, but I think it's Lena Reinhardt. And the talk is called A Talk About Nothing. And it's basically a talk about pointing out a lot of things that people just don't realize about the industry, about how things are done, and inclusivity in our industry. It's really interesting, and I thought it was uh, very well done. So those are my picks. She won an award, didn't she, for the um, one of the best talks of the year? You know, she was put up for an award for the best <laughs> talks of the year, and um, I will say that she needed to work a little bit on her presentation skill, just how she was presenting, but the content was just absolutely amazing. When I looked and looked at the awards, it didn't look like she had actually won from where, whoever was doing those awards, but the content was just absolutely amazing. So I thought it was a great, very, very well worth watching. All right. Lucas, what are your picks? So my pick this week is a documentary I watched uh, a couple of days ago called uh, Meru. And it's about a couple of climbers who I didn't even know what Nehru was, but it's actually a peak, I believe, in India that's very, very hard. And it's just a phenomenal story about how these um, mountain climbers made it to the top. And I was like, oh, I'll just watch the first 10 minutes and see uh, what I what I think. And it was just riveting, start to finish. And uh, one of the commentators of the movie was the guy who wrote Into Thin Air, and uh, which is another pretty phenomenal book. So Yeah, John Krakauer, that's a good book. And so Meru is kind of a, a kind of an extension of that like spirit of adventure and indomitable spirit, etc. And it was just riveting. I would tell anybody to check it out. The cinematography is over the top. It was done by National Geographic. Very, very well done and just an awesome story. All right. Ward, what are your picks? Well, I am going to pick an eight minute short called How to Sharpen Pencils. And I can't for it won some words, and I can't for the life of me believe that guy is so serious about how to sharpen a number two pencil. He's got this gigantic kit with razor blades, and you look at it and you swear this has got to be a send up, but I think he's serious. Anyway, it's worth a look just to see how it's shot and, and see a guy go nuts about sharpening pencils. All right, so my picks are the two of them, and both related. One is The Hour of Code. It's from code.org, and it's some links that we're going to include in here. They've got a great way where kids around the world can learn how to code using JavaScript and do it along to a Star Wars theme. I recently taught at a couple uh, local schools and showed them this, and all the classes just loved it from grade one all the way up to grade eight. Uh, so it's pretty wicked cool. And it looks like uh, every year they do this uh, around the world, and they're getting I mean, literally hundreds of millions of kids to do it. So it's pretty cool. Uh, and then the second piece is related. It's the Star Wars The Force Awakens movie, which uh, I'm going to see three times in the open weekend. Oh, you are so sick. And I want to say that <laughs> over and over again, because Ward can't stand Star Wars. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm really excited to go see this movie. It looks pretty cool. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Star Wars freak, but uh, I'm saying it to rub it into Ward. Ward, just mute your uh, your Twitter stream for a week. <laughs> I'm so ashamed for you, John. Star I bought Wars you box. a ticket, too. <laughs> oh, there you go. Are you going to take, like, a, a blow-up Ward? Oh, there you to go. To Star nice. Wars? No, no, no. Cut blow, out. blow up Ward dolls in your house. <laughs> <laughs> Dress it in, in bell-bottoms and a Spangle shirt. <laughs> all right uh, i've got a couple of picks here the first one is is uh i'm just letting folks know i've decided to do 12 conferences next year um, i'm going to put on a conference every month next year and in fact i had so many people complaining when i got rid of the podcasting one in favor of the react conference that i'm probably going to do 13 uh, anyway you can buy season passes at allremoteconfs.com and that's considerably cheaper than buying the tickets any other way then the other thing is, is if you're not interested in that and you just want like JavaScript stuff that I am doing, as I said before, JS Remote Conf in January, uh, the call for proposals is probably going to be over when this comes out, as will the early bird pricing, but you can still get tickets. Uh, John Papa is speaking. I'm talking to several other people about speaking. So uh, go check that out. And I'm, I'm doing some other conferences that you'll probably be interested later in the year. I'm doing React if you're interested in that. I'm also doing uh, Git conference, NoSQL conference. If you're a new programmer, I'm putting one together where people talk about careers and leveling up and things like that for newbies, and it'll be a newbie conference. So uh, go check all that out at allremoteconfs.com. 
Uh, the other thing I'm going to pick is I've been playing a game a friend of mine introduced me to, and that is Clash of Clans. And I've been playing it on my iPhone, and I think it's fun. So you build an army, and you go fight other stuff, and you build your village up. and Yeah. Anyway, uh, fun game. So those are my picks. Thomas, what are your picks? So I only have one, and I'll paste it here. This is a talk that I saw by Dan Abramov on live reloading, hot reloading, and using a redux. And I got to admit, I was really, really impressed, not only with the the uh, speaker and his knowledge, but the way he presented it. And it made me really want to start looking at using Redux within Angular JS apps and start looking at RxJS or ReactJS. So these are the things that I think are on the radar for developers if they really want to keep their skills hot and current. This is the next wave, I think, that uh, people are going to really need to make sure they stay on, on top of. So that's my one. One pick. All right. If people want to find out more about you, what you're working on, or Angular Material, or any of the rest of that, where do they go? So you can go to the Google Groups and go to the Material Group. You can come uh, to, there's the Angular Material community at CodePen. You can go to get involved if you want at the github.com slash angular slash material and check out not only the source, but you can get involved and look at the issues that we're working on or the features we're trying to implement. And you can help drive new features if you want. And you can hit me up on Hangout if you want or Twitter. And I'm also on um, Google+. Plus, So that's a great spot to find me and just sort of stay abreast of what's going on with Angular material and some of its new directions. All right. Well, thanks again for coming, Thomas. This has been a lot of fun. It's been really interesting to dig into, you know, some of these things that are coming up and things that we can use now to make our websites uh, look, feel, and function better. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. All right. We'll go ahead and wrap this up, and we'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 